Hello and welcome back to Security Insights, the podcast that takes a deeper look at today's most important issues in cybersecurity and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. In this episode, we take a look at two pieces of upcoming European legislation, the Cyber Resilience Act and DORA. The Cyber Resilience Act sets out baseline security requirements for both hardware and software. The Act aims to create a safer cyber ecosystem across Europe, pushing both for more secure designs and reducing vulnerabilities during their life cycles. DORA, or the Digital Operational Resilience Act, aims to improve not just cybersecurity, but overall ICT resilience in the financial services sector. But it's entirely possible that DORA will affect more than just financial services firms. It already has provisions that apply to supply chains, for example. Our guests this week are both experts in EU information security legislation. Dominic Samachuk is Information Security Manager at Consultants Future Processing and Assistant Professor at the Silesian University of Technology in Poland. And Rodrigo Marcos Avaris is Chair of Crest's EU Council. He started by explaining the background to DORA. DORA is uh, one component of, uh, uh, let's say, an interesting project called uh, digital finance in Europe. Okay, so basically, digital finance is a strategy uh, that the European Commission uh, basically uh, made public in uh, 2020, and what it tries to do is to make Europe a single market for financial services. So uh, DORA is one part of it, uh, basically to promote a framework uh, facilitating innovation, facilitating transformation, and uh, basically um, to promote uh, data data-driven services uh, in in Europe. So this uh, digital finance in in Europe takes a number of initiatives, so for example for um, DLTs or blockchain related uh, type of uh, projects, uh, retail payments and DORA framework, which is basically cyber resilient. So is the basis of this that actually they need to have a level of cybersecurity assurance that isn't currently there in order for these other things to happen, so for this digitization of finance to happen, unless we have a minimum standard of cybersecurity across the European community? I think it's a combination of everything. So if you have a strategy for what is called in, in Europe digital finance, you have to have everything. So you cannot have all the security in the world, but then you cannot have, let's say, retail payments or, or uh, cryptocurrency. So you, in order to uh, have innovation, uh, you need to for sure have security and have the rest of the things. So that's why this is part of a like a global strategy for, for Europe. So what will financial services firms within the EU have to do to comply with this? What are the basic building blocks? So there's a few things. So there's five areas uh, in DORA, and I'm not going to cover them uh, in detail, but very, very high level. Uh, it is about having a very strong uh, risk management uh, processes, have uh, incident management as well, um, what they call uh, resilience testing, which is basically a combination of penetration testing and TIBER-like uh, testing. Something very, very interesting, which is third-party, so supply chain uh, risk management, which is something somehow new, and basically a collaboration within the Eurozone. 
I would say that uh, in the core of Dora, why Dora seems like a really interesting framework, in my opinion, if you read the regulation, there's, uh, I think, three key components of it. So the first one is the security of financial organizations as such. Okay, which is where maybe most people focus. Okay, but there's two others which are super interesting. The first one would be the cooperation at EU level. Okay, that I can talk more about it, but I think is very powerful. And the second one is precisely the supply chain uh, security. Was there an analysis before saying there was actually a deficiency in security in the sector? Was there a gap there? The real answer is I don't know. Okay. I don't think there was a deficiency as such. Arguably, there is a deficiency everywhere in the world, and hence that's why we all have a job here in security. No? Uh, but I don't think there was a deficiency in Europe as such, and as a result of that, there was the regulation. However, I think it's the other way around. I think it's leading by example and trying to set the bar uh, high enough, you know, uh, with a regulation that kind of makes uh, a lot of sense in many ways, you know, to lead the way to make a safer marketplace, in this case for financial organizations in Europe. Is it likely to be a challenge for organizations to comply with this? Hmm. It is, yes. I think it is likely, for mature organizations, I think it will be okay. Um, so, um, mature financial institutions who are uh, very security aware, etc., etc., I think they will be okay. A lot of the regulation is very much in line with best practices, so I think it will be fine. For newcomers, it will be challenging. However, I think something interesting in this regulation is that in Europe, they don't want to do something in detriment to, like, say, newcomers or the um, financial in uh, industry, because that would be basically jeopardizing the thing that you want to protect. Okay, so there's something interesting which uh, they refer to in the regulation, which is proportionality. So, smaller organizations have a less degree of requirements, precisely to make it easier for them, you know, so that you make the benefit, but also you don't put too many hurdles in, in smaller organizations. Is there a risk with that, though? Because if you then put those smaller organizations into, for example, a financial services supply chain, mm -hmm. the attackers are simply going to go after those organizations that sit below the threshold and don't have to take the extra steps. I guess there is a risk. I feel that there's fewer requirements for those, let's say, smaller uh, um, organizations. But at least there's some requirements where before there was none. So I guess uh, there's a small risk, but it's an improvement uh, nonetheless, I would say. How important is it that this is focused on resilience? It's not a security act or a cyber security act, mm -hmm. but it's a resilience act. Is that a change in thinking? That is a change of thinking and also it's a more wider approach. So the regulation uh, looks at uh, things like uh, business continuity plans. They look at uh, backups. Uh, they look at uh, basically all part of resilience, the monitoring, the detecting, um, all the processes around uh, handling incidents, um, all of that. So yes, I think this is a wider approach and is uh, a lot more holistic and it makes a lot of sense, I think. When organizations look at this within the EU, are they now going to have to think in different ways about how they organize their own resources? Because 
some of the, and this, this may be part of the European Commission's thinking, I'm sure it is, but some of the problems that we've seen in some of the larger cybersecurity incidents has not actually been to do with the vulnerabilities that were used to enter the business to breach the perimeter. It was to do with the recovery phase and the fact that departments that need to bring the business back up are not necessarily the same businesses that are the same departments within the business that are involved in cybersecurity in the first place. So you're actually throwing the problem over to IT or a business continuity team if there is such a thing rather than the cybersecurity team whose focus has been very much on securing the perimeter until this point. Yes, absolutely. I think in this case, that's very interesting. Yes, you're right. I think in this case uh, with Dora, um, well, I don't know what you think, but normally one of the biggest challenges is having the management, upper management buy-in for security in, 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 uh, in a lot of cases. And in Dora, uh, they make it very, very clear and all the responsibility, with absolutely no exceptions, lies on upper management. Everything, and it's uh, very clear. So I think in this case, uh, it is in everyone's best interest, and management in particular, to have clear communication, understanding among the partners, and basically to uh, holistically uh, cascade down all of these uh, processes, etc. Et because I think we're already seeing something of a trend of these departments or pillars within organizations moving more closely together. Because there's a realization that you have to have physical security alongside cybersecurity, and that the physical recovery stage where your backups are is your primary defense against ransomware, for example. And actually, when you look at some of the attacks that are now taking place, certainly some of the nation state attacks, they may be aimed at destruction or at least disruption of the business. Mm -hmm. So that recovery thing is more important than anything else because actually what they're, they're not stealing your data or, or trying to extract information from you. They're actually trying to take you offline. And so being able to rebuild from that is as consequential as being able to rebuild from say a fire or a flood in your data center, perhaps more so. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, to me, I think one of the exciting things about Dora, uh, well, let's see how all of this pans out, but uh, all of the, um, one of the most exciting things to me is the cooperation at the uh, EU level. So as part of the law, um, if you detect um, an incident on your network, okay, you have the obligation to notify uh, the authorities, okay, and this is within one day, so one business day. And then there's all the reporting that you need to do as you understand the root cause of the of the incident and all that. But imagine, if you are operating in Europe, every single financial organization has this requirement. And then the, the authorities are going to notify um, all, the, all the institutions about potential incidents. So if you are working as a financial institution in an environment where you are going to have early notification of incidents within Europe, surely that is going to make you prevent and detect uh, similar attacks. No? So I feel that with this collaboration, uh, there's going to be a big increase in resilience. No? And that's a really, really desirable thing. No? Are we likely to see countries outside the EU adopt maybe if not this specific legislation, but something on a similar basis. So as we've seen with GDPR, that the ideas behind it have been copied quite widely now, and you see a lot of GDPR-like regulations, even countries such as China, uh, Australia following suit there. So might we see countries such as the UK, the US adopting similar types of measures? Very much so. 
I really think so. And I really hope so, because this can only be a good thing. Um, uh, specifically, um, the collaborative uh, thing, um, third-party risk assessments, or trying to tackle supply chain attacks. Uh, that's, uh, that's fantastic. And being able to do that in, a, in an act by, by law, compliance, uh, that uh, will only bring uh, you know, better and safer uh, marketplace for, for everyone. Well, what about extending this to other industries then? Because again, we've got other parts of critical infrastructure, which particularly might be a concern. And the financial services industry doesn't exist on its own. It relies very heavily on telecommunications, for example, to operate. We could see that then extend into healthcare, which looks increasingly vulnerable, transportation, and so on. So even just staying with critical infrastructure, there are at least a dozen different industry sectors that could adopt something similar. Do you think, is that likely? Would that be beneficial? Personally, I have no clue if that is likely or not. I truly hope uh, that the uh, the world moves into in that direction. Um, I think, uh, I hope is uh, something that it will happen and I can see that as a quite likely uh, scenario, really. But if we continue to speculate just for the moment, uh-huh. if it did happen, would that more likely be industry regulation, so a self-regulatory type of format rather than more European law? So in other industries where it's not mandated, they may take the guiding principles behind DORA and say, OK, we'll take what's good in here, we'll take the best practice that's coming out of here, but we'll do that on an industry basis, or we'll do that through our supply chains. It may be a requirement in order to trade. So, for example, if you're trading with a financial service institution that's covered by DORA, I would imagine that companies in their supply chain would be among the first to voluntarily adopt that type of standard. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. And in fact, uh, as uh, within DORA, there's some providers who can opt in to, uh, to be part of uh, the regulated third parties. Okay. Uh, but yeah, back, back to your question. Yes, absolutely. I think financial services is the first industry. I feel that other regulated services uh, would be benefit from that. I think with regards to make it uh, maybe guidelines instead of uh, compliance, like uh, a law, I think there's benefits of having a law uh, enforcing this. And I think it's because guidelines, we all know that there's hundreds of security guidelines that they're never followed. And it's only when there's a compliance uh, element uh, to it that actually and fines and, uh, you know, uh, where companies actually act and they, they, they follow the law. And there'll always be somebody out there who thinks that they can save money by not being compliant or gain a competitive advantage by not being compliant if it's not backed by legislation. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rodrigo Marcos on why moving from guidelines to law, as the EU will with DORA, is more likely to improve security and resilience. The Cyber Resilience Act could make even more of an impact on any business operating in Europe, given that it covers both digital products and services or anything with a digital element. And although the Act won't come into force before 2025, and some provisions won't be mandatory until two years after that, businesses need to start preparing for it now. And, argues Dominic Samachuk, it could have as greater impact as the GDPR. Let's start with the success of the GDPR, because, of course, we have a lot of other legislation in, in Europe and over the world. 
However, the GDPR was the one that actually make a lot of headlines in the media. And of course, GDPR is not perfect. However, the legislation as a whole uh, was an overall success because almost every company in the world, especially in Europe, however, this is not only uh, a Europe thing, I would say, uh, know what the GDPR is and how to comply with the GDPR. Of course, I can be a cynic and I, I can say that this was almost the first legislation in the cybersecurity world where we have fines. Uh, and of course, the, the, the headlines in, in the media was related to the uh, extraordinary fines for, for Google, for British Airlines, for Marriott, etc. And I guess based on the success of the GDPR, the European Union cybersecurity strategy and all the legislation that we can connect with with this strategy. So the legislation that we are talking today, the Cyber Resilience Act, the the DORA Act, the uh, NIS, so the Network and Infra Information Security, um, or as uh, we call it, NIS to zero. Uh, is a part of, of this global framework uh, related to the cybersecurity. So I guess the, the point here is, as we added the cybersphere to the, the, the fifth block of the possible places that the warfare can occur, European Union are also stating that we need to focus also on the cyberspace directly in the means of cybersecurity and are creating a building blocks. So we have, as I said, network and information security. We have this uh, Cyber Resilience Act. We have DORA just to cover as much as possible the whole picture of the cybersecurity um, right now. So what challenges or particularly threats has the EU identified? And we're talking here around product and software security. So things that potentially aren't security products themselves, but are maybe vulnerable to cyber attack. So European Union asked the questions, why the cybersecurity is not enough right now? And the answers might vary, but you know, when you are developing the product, can you say that you don't need security? Probably not. You you are assuming that the product that you are delivering is secure enough. But this is not as easy as it seems because we have a lack of uh, simply engineers, security engineers that can do the development lifecycle. We have not enough budget for, for security uh, during the development lifecycle. Um, there was simply no framework on how to actually do the security. Because you know, when we are talking about, for example, performance, you can have a metrics if the performance is enough. Uh, when we are talking about the security, it's very hard to do because when the software is secure enough, uh, how you can say that this software is not secure enough and another one is secure enough. Uh, there's, I would say, uh, a, a binary process. It is secure or not secure. However, we don't know how to quantify it. Let's start with the beginning. The, the security is, is, is quality, I would say, uh, or should be uh, meant as a, a quality quality of 
product but you know there was no framework to to quantify it if, if this is even possible so european union ask a simple question because normally when you are buying almost any product and this is strictly related to the aspect of the the products that uh, are connected with the cyber resilience act so almost everything uh, if this is hardware software if this is really a digital product this will be covered by the cyber resilience act but back to my uh, first uh, thought when you are creating a software um, you are selling it and in some magical process the security of this product is strictly related to the guy that is running it so you are running it you are operating on the software or hardware and you need to apply the security patch in the first place if you are not applying the security patches this is your problem if something wrong occurs. We, we see the examples with the, I don't know, not Petya ransomware or WannaCry ransomware. Uh, it was strictly related to not applying the patches in the, in the time frame. Um, European Union started to, to ask the question, why you should be applying the security patches in the first place? Of course, this is some idea that if we create a framework or if we are focusing on the security during the whole security life cycle development life cycle um, it will be more secure this is not exactly true but it will be a huge step in making the, the software secure so they are simply trying to you know change this um, point of view instead of simply if we have any security vulnerability we as a software development company will simply apply another security patch and everyone needs to use it to simply don't have a need to apply the security patches because the software will be already secure i guess with all other uh, frameworks such as mentioned by me, Nice with Dora, we are focused on making sure that uh, everything will be created, created, uh, not implemented even with the security in mind. And how do you think the EU or how does the EU intend this to work? What are the mechanisms for this legislation? Once again, I guess that the essential part will be fines really because you know we have a lot of say debt legislation due to the fact that it was only a, a paper that we should do in some way but if you don't have any negative consequences of not following up with the legislation process it will be that as i started the success of the gdpr lies inside the the fines because you you have big fine in, in GDPR legislation. The same applies for the Cyber Resilience Act, really. You know, it's not a final version, but we are hearing about the uh, 15 millions of euros or two and a half of the annual turnover uh, in fines. So once again, I guess this will be a great publication material if there will be fines for not following the Cyber Resilience Act. 
And as a as a consultant and as an academic researcher in this space, do you think this is likely to be a success? I mean, we've seen the GDPR has actually worked quite well, but uh, lots of other countries have copied it. But do you think that the EU will achieve its aims with this new act? I think that not exactly, but uh, only the Cyber Resilience Act, but as a working with the other legislation or the overall strategy, I guess this is making much more sense than it was as a, you know, some security during the development. If we have a framework of, of how to do, what to focus on, how to show the evidence that we are doing the cybersecurity during the development, it will provide enough benefits. Also, the European Union, when creating the Cyber Resilience Act itself, uh, are stating that the compliance costs, there will be any, but hopefully they will be outweighed by the benefits uh, of the higher level of security of products and some kind of maybe more mature decision making when buying the products. So you will have uh, a logo, a quality logo that states that we created this product with the security in mind. And if you want to, you can check what we did. Uh, and the cost of the product won't be the only criteria as it can be right now. There will be other ones like the performance as it is also, uh, but maybe there will be also a security level or security level evidence that we can provide that we did during the um, development. And once again, if you need to take into account the possible fine of 15 million euros uh, if there will be a security incident based on your software. Probably during the development process or consultancy process or workshop, you will have a security in mind. So you will look forward your technology consultancy uh, to make sure that they are also thinking about the security when developing this product. You've identified, though, some potential risks, not least the fact that the legislation mentions threats which are not specified. There's not much detail about some of the threats you might have to protect against. So why do you think that could be a problem? Yes, because we are right now that we know that something will happen, but we don't know exactly what, when and how this will affect us. Of course, this is a little bit, a little bit overstated because we know that somewhere at the late of 2024 or early 2025, uh, we will have such a low, but we don't know what will be the final version. Once again, we, for example, taking into account the NIST to zero, because this is also a legislation that will have a similar time frame, we can base on the NIST one zero, which is already implemented. However, with Adora, with the Cyber Resilience Act, we don't know what will be the final version. And if we look at the introduction to the Cyber Resilience Act, which is stating that almost all digital products, both software and hardware will be affected, it will be a big shift uh, in companies making this product uh, because right now, as I said, you are assuming that the product is securely developed both in-house or by the, some kind of outsourcing partner, but it will need to change. You will need to have a, 
uh, evidence, you will need to have a, a process of making the soft uh, secure and in the internal um, risk management uh, offices in your company, they will need to have such evidences uh, from your third party. And actually, this will not just impact hardware manufacturers or independent software companies, but it'll also affect any enterprise that develops its own software or potentially even deploys third-party software because there'll be some responsibility to ensure that that software is in turn uh, resilient. How do you think businesses will be affected by this? Maybe just to sum it up, uh, because the first thought that comes to you when you are uh, reading about the Cyber Resilience Act is thinking that as long as I'm not a manufacturer, I'm safe. Uh, this is not a true because once again in the introduction uh, to the Cyber Resilience Act, it is stating that if you are a manufacturer, importer or even a distributor of uh, connected products, both hardware and software with digital elements. So let me ask which of the product is not a digital or don't, don't contain digital elements right now. Uh, so almost everyone both from the manufacturing or the third party point of view uh, will be affected. And the, the question that you ask, how we should prepare for this, really I don't know because, for example, if you are a manufacturer that are using third party, um, it could come up with different scenarios. So for example, uh, you can think that uh, simply I will put it in the in the documents or the statement of work with my third party that they need to follow the Cyber Resilience Act right now. From the point of view of the third party, they could state, okay, we will do as it, uh, as it will be. Uh, we will, of course, provide some evidences of doing the security checks, of doing, I don't know, static or dynamic analysis of the code in regards of uh, cybersecurity. Uh, but the question arises, do we have enough security engineers in, in those companies? Uh, do we have enough people? Because if you look at the uh, topics, uh, the, the media highlights, for example, from the latest layovers, you see that there are a lot of developers, the lot, the lot of quality assurance guys uh, that lost uh, their jobs. You don't see a lot of security engineers on the market right now. Uh, so I guess there will be not enough people. Hopefully some automation will help. But I guess that the, for the companies that um, provide security audits, security development lifecycle um, practices, um, it, was, it will be a golden era just to provide with this, uh, this evidences. Uh, of course, I guess we could based on the, how it went with GDPR. There was two types of companies. The companies that was really aware and prepared well for the 2018 when the GDPR was introduced. Uh, all products were complying with the GDPR. And there was also companies that stated that we will see how we'll go when the GDPR starts. And most of the, the these companies that go with the, you only live once uh, them, uh, simply get a fine in some kind of, of way or are, you know, doing the legal battles uh, 
during the process with with GDPR um, legislation. I guess this will be the case with the Cyber Resilience Act. So we will have our customers, our companies, maybe also the companies that are under another type of legislation, for example, the DORA, uh, when we are talking about the financial institutions. Um, and also we will have the ones that I uh, will say, we always created the secure uh, Mm, products mm, and we will see how it goes from my experience uh, it, it will not go well absolutely and how should businesses prepare now for the the act just just to, if we've got time for one last question how should or should businesses start to prepare right away for this i guess yes because even if we don't know uh, what we will get as a final version of this Cyber Resilience Act, uh, as DORA, as Network and Information Security legislation, uh, you need to remember that even if the law is not working retroactively, uh, someplace in the future there will be a starting point and the development of the product is probably done right now for this product that will be covered with the start date. Uh, in, in other words, um, if we are talking about the perspective of 20 plus months when the legislation starts to take place and we need to comply with them, uh, there is high possibility that we are developing these products right now with the delivery partners, with, with the consultancy. So we need to find, I would say, uh, a partner that know that there will be a Cyber Resilience Act, that there will be DORA, that, that there will be the Network and Information Security to Zero, uh, that will tell you about the requirements or possibly um, take the risk off you, really, to, to, to be up to date and the partner that have the capabilities of doing the security development lifecycle, for example, because I guess this will be the, the crucial point uh, from the Cyber Resilience Act, that during the whole development, you are doing all uh, practices that will help acquiring the security. And simply, you will have an evidence of doing so. So if there will be a security incident, and definitely it, it will be, you will have an evidence that you have done enough to you know, minimize the uh, the risk level of, of this security incident. Dominic Samachuk on how businesses can prepare for the Cyber Resilience Act and potentially avoid both significant financial penalties and reputational damage. That though is all for this episode of Security Insights. In our next programme, we'll look further at cyber resilience and examine some new research that aims to explain why it's so hard for organisations to measure their ability to withstand or even recover from a cyber attack. Until then, do catch up on past programmes on our website, securityinsights.co.uk, or subscribe and rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon and Spotify. Thanks again for listening.